This podcast of Out to Lunch is made possible by FSC Interactive, an online marketing agency specializing in social media, paid search, and search engine optimization. FSC-focused smart communications empowers customers to take control of their online brands. More at fscinteractive.com. Smart is their middle name. Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker. Established in 1937, now with more than 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. Online at joneswalker.com. Additional support comes from Fidelity Homestead Savings Bank, Resource Management LLC, Luba Workers Comp, and 30 North Investments. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and economist. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. We often hear that small business is the backbone of the American economy. In fact, over 50% of us work in a small business. But we also know that 50% of small businesses don't stay in business longer than five years. There's a big difference from having a great idea to running a great business. And part of that risk can be lessened by opening a franchise. You have a known product, expert backup, and a tried and true formula for success. In New Orleans and across Louisiana, we have a number of well-known local franchises. Among them are PJ's Coffee and Wow Cafe. These two brands and others are owned by a company called Ballard Brands. Co-founder Paul Ballard grew up in New Orleans and started out opening a PJ's franchise himself in 1995. Paul, welcome out to lunch. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Now, if you've thought about opening a franchise of your own but don't have a clue where to start, you could find yourself talking to Ted Fireman. Ted teaches a course in franchising at Tulane's School of Continuing Studies, and he's the owner of FranNet Louisiana, a company that helps you find and start a Louisiana franchise. Uh, Ted, welcome out to lunch. Peter, thank you for having me. Ted Fireman, because franchising is hot, hot, hot. There we go. I've been waiting to use that. The uh, Paul, uh, PJ's Coffee currently operates 69 locations in Louisiana, Mississippi, Texas, Georgia, Arkansas, and New Jersey. You now have more than 75 WOW cafes. Uh, these businesses work because they deliver a predictable, reliable experience to every customer, everywhere. But anyone who has employees or even a family knows that you can only have to turn you back for about five minutes and all hell can break loose. How do you or any other franchise owner, McDonald's, Subway, and so on, how do you control every person at every location, every minute of the business day, to deliver the kind of uniformity you need. How do you manage it, Paul? I mean, the short answer is you can't. But the, the, I think the real advantage of franchising is that the owner-operator in a franchise is usually an entrepreneur. And it's a person that's a self-starter that wants to have their own business. And so I think that that, that incentive and their, it's their capital on the line. So, you know, you, you put that together with good systems and a good brand, and that's why you see franchises more successful than not, uh, by and large. And is this a, that's a lot different than having just an employee running the place somewhere else. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, we have systems in place, and then that, that really gives them an advantage. It also has brand recognition, uh, things, you know, you have a marketing uh, plan, you have uh, operational support so that they don't have to go through that uh, process of, of research and development, good product mix, 
Uh, those are the kinds of things that a franchise gives that franchisee and, and really gives them a, a leg up on maybe starting something on their own where there's a lot of mistakes along the way. And you continually <clears throat> tweak the model, right? Right. So, you know, you have a large system and a lot of things. And I, I was a McDonald's guy when I was a kid. And I worked at McDonald's. And my owner uh, was, was one of my uh, mentors And uh, over looking back. And what's interesting is, is in the McDonald's system even, um, a lot of the best products came out of the franchise community because you're dealing with entrepreneurs that have great ideas. So you have those things that come through the pipe and best practices, best business practices, all those things start to build on each other and the stronger brands build off of that. Now, Ted, you're the uh, Louisiana owner of FranNet. FranNet is a nationwide consultancy that helps people who want to get into a franchise, find one that suits them and get it up and running. Uh, Let's start by uh, talking a little about FranNet. Is FranNet itself a franchise? Are you a franchisee? Yeah, uh, FranNet is a international franchise. United States, Canada, France, and Great Britain. There are about 100 owners that own a territory, and my territory is the state of Louisiana. And so people that are coming to you, they're, are they sometimes coming with as vague an idea as, I want to run my own business, and then you take it from there? Yeah, absolutely. We kind of work with folks uh, go through an assessment, and then help them build a personal business model that really reflects their background, their skills, their interests, and their lifestyle goals. Everybody isn't, everybody wants to make a great living, but for some people, success is not just about the money. It's controlling their schedule, more time with their family, that sort of thing. I see on your website that it, it says your service uh, as a consultant is actually free. Now, FranNet is paid by the franchise brand owners. Do you represent everyone, um, including competitive brands, or are you an agent for specific brands? We work with about 120 franchises. One of the services that we are able to provide is that we have vetted those franchises to make sure that people are dealing with really great franchises. Uh, There are probably over 3,000 franchises and a lot of good ones, but a lot that are not so good. And our our goal is to match people with the right franchise for their no, their needs and their goals. Now, tell me, how does it all work? I'll just use an example. But, I mean, for instance, uh, I know you don't do food, but when I go to a Popeye's, who owns that restaurant? Is it maybe, maybe Paul would know this. Uh, is, it, um, is it the company based in, is it Louisiana uh, Kitchen based out of Atlanta, or is it uh, a person in Louisiana? It depends. Like in the region, I believe the founder, uh, the Copelands, own yep. a lot of the number ones, yeah. a number of them So you locally. can have a mix. You can have a mix. So like, let's just say Omaha, Nebraska. <coughs> you might have a group of uh, franchisees that is a large franchisee, which is a, uh, a, a sophisticated infrastructure like a company uh, that might own 50 or 100. Uh, or you might have one franchisee that owns one location. And that's the other thing. Sometimes you hear about people that started out with one franchise and they, they end up becoming kind of an empire yeah. unto themselves. They, it, uh, it can be a very big business. I mean, there are folks that want to have that corner business and, and make a nice living and, and have control of their schedule. That's all they want to do. You have other people that want to build a very substantial empire, and that, that's possible too. Uh, I, I'm not sure if, if these exist with you, Paul, but there are what people refer to as a master franchise where you almost become a partner with the franchise company and you're helping to uh, to find additional franchise owners and you're sharing in the proceeds that come from that individual franchise owner. Ted, I'll put you on the spot. What's what's hot now? 
in the franchise business? Well, you're going to hate my answer because I, I tell people that whatever is hot is probably what they should avoid. Okay. Because <laughs> this is the way the stock market works. This is yeah, fine. yeah, because what, what may be great for your uncle in California who's making a killing could be a disaster for you. It really depends on the individual and the market. And uh, so w I, I advise people to focus on the big demographic trends so that they end up with a business that's going to be successful now and for the next 20 years and, and not what is trendy. And one thing, Paul, that I was thinking is I wonder how many people came to the business kind of like you did. You, you got a PJ's, and yep. then you must have fell in love with the PJ's concept, I guess. I did. I was a customer. Actually, my <laughs> wife, a customer. My wife was a customer. We met at school, and uh, that was her routine. She went to PJ's. So you went to PJ's to meet girls. Uh, well, nice. you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did it work? Uh, yeah, it did. It did. I think Look it at still that. works today for a lot of people. <laughs> uh, for a lot of people out there. Uh, the... Um, you know, it started very small for me, one one cafe, and then it became two cafes, and then three cafes, and I always like to say, um, and then I had the American dream is, is the fact that um, we were able to buy the brand as a family, and, and the brand that we fell in love with and, and started with, and, uh, and then, of course, the Wow Cafe, um, you know, when I started that, uh, that was just a dream, and then, uh, you know, you start with one, and then you open another, and you get your systems right. And then you, uh, we started franchising. Now, you, must, you, you, had, you had success at PJ's, and then that was quite a leap to say, you know, we could do right. this with wings. I mean, um, what gave you the confidence? Um, I, I, I think I was young, and I was naive. <laughs> and I, uh, I, I really didn't anticipate the downside because I really had nothing to lose in my thoughts. Uh, you know, I, it's the truth. Uh, I, I was just motivated by the process of being creative and creating something. I worked here uptown on uh, Chapatulas at a, at a bar grill, and I really loved that kind of feeling. I enjoyed the coffee business, too, and so I was just kind of itching to get in the restaurant business. And, um, and so, um, and then it just started me down that path. And, Ted, is it partially, uh, I would think, people that come to you, might, the first line might be, I don't want to... I want to go into this because I'm tired of working for someone else. Is that kind of one of the big motivations? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, we get a lot of different uh, types of clients. Sometimes somebody's been downsized from a managerial or corporate kind of position once, twice, three times, and they, they've had it. And they're, or they're been asked to move a lot of times, something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and they want to be more in control of, uh, of their financial future. So we find that uh, that's one category. I'm finding a trend here that is a little bit different than in other places in the country. I'm seeing a lot more women who are uh, interested in business ownership, and I'm seeing a lot of people that want to keep their job and start a business sometimes referred to as a semi-absentee business where they can keep their job and benefits and maybe work 10 or 15 hours a week and build something on the side that they may later transition into or they may not. Yeah, because that's, that's the tricky part of me, because once you're not physically there, then you've got to make, make that work with somebody else in charge for you, right? There's right, right. And, and there are some businesses that really are designed from, from their inception to fit that model, that you're managing a manager, you're supervising, you're uh, making sure that the marketing and all the back office is implemented properly, but you're not there on a day-to-day -day basis. may not work so well for the individual restaurant owner, but when they get beyond one or two restaurants, they really have to build a team. And 
Yeah, you do. You have to build infrastructure, and uh, and 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 you know, it, it, it is like any business that you start building. Um, you start adding the pieces. Yeah, and Ted, let me ask you about something I've been thinking about. I don't, I don't know how franchise works. What I mean, for every hundred dollars that comes in, what's the usual breakdown? Some of it goes to headquarters. Some of it goes in your pocket. Well, that's a good question, <coughs> and and in this day and age, everybody is so focused on local, buy local, eat local, everything local. And what, what a lot of people don't realize is that the, a locally owned franchise employs people here, the owner lives here, they're spending their money here. Uh, if they're smart, they're sourcing their supplies, their food here. Uh, and the only piece that's going out is the royalties that are paid to the franchisor. And that can vary depending on the business. An average royalty might be about 7%, could range from 5 to 10, but 7 is probably average. That's the piece that goes back to the franchisor. The rest of it stays local. Uh, it's time to do the checklist. This is the part of the show where we take a little break to ask you a quick question that you probably wouldn't find on a loan application. <laughs> now, Ted, I think I almost know this, the answer to this, but I'm going to ask you, Ted. When you were a child, were you in leadership or entrepreneurial ventures? Yes, I was. Uh, you know, my, my dad was uh, a small business guy all his life, and I grew up uh, working in his businesses and cutting grass and delivering newspapers and doing all that stuff. And later in life, I, I did work in his business and have owned a couple businesses, including another franchise, before I got into uh, the business that I'm in now. I bet that actually helps to have been in their shoes on the yeah. other side. Yeah, it, it, it does. There's, there's actually, uh, I, I hesitate to tell this story because uh, you know, I, don't, I don't like people to... Hear, the, hear about my mistakes, but I think it really is true. You learn more from yeah. them. It really <laughs> is true. And I owned a franchise maybe 15 years ago. Um, and if I had gone through the kind of assessment and research that we take our clients through, I would have never bought that franchise. Because I didn't really focus on what the role of the owner would be. A lot of times we get excited about a business and we forget that you need to think about what does the owner do day to day to be successful. I bet that's true. Now, Paul, um, you know, I see, I see your organization. I know you're actually, you, it's three brothers, right? Right. It's uh, a, yeah, my brothers are in business with me. Wow. That, does that work out okay? It does. <laughs> uh, you know, we shared a room and we had five kids and I mean, we know how to, how to figure it out. <laughs> well, Paul, let me ask, what is unusual about the culture of your company? When you go to work there, what is it, one thing that kind of strikes people? I think we bring, I think we do bring a family atmosphere. Uh, we all, we played sports growing up so we kind of take the team approach and uh you know we we're all in it together we all work at at the at it together uh to try to win and uh that's kind of our our, our style um and we we try to learn from our mistakes <coughs> and then get better and try to keep moving um and that's that's kind of the culture that we um that we continue to add to and then i'm kind of creative so we you know, all three of us, we, we like to do different things and, uh, and bring different elements to the company. And, uh, and then, you know, just that kind of gumbo of ideas just kind of builds on itself. And you start seeing that culture come through. And uh, this, I guess it has to go to Ted, but uh, maybe Paul as well. But after, after doing this a while, what kind of person should not open a franchise? I mean, because that's true, right? There's a camp that ought to 
not embarking this. Yeah, well, I actually consider, uh, we start with an assessment and then we spend some time with people and review the assessment, talk to them about it. And I actually consider it a big success if I talk somebody out of going into business. Because a lot of people really are not cut out for business. Uh, and the worst thing in the world is for them to devote their time and their money to something that they're not going to be successful at. So really it's all about finding the right business and the right individual making that match. Uh, occasionally you also get somebody who, uh, who has that next great idea and, it, and they're so, so entrepreneurial. Sometimes they love ideas more than they love successful business. But uh, if, if it's the kind of person that really cannot follow a system, um, they're probably not going to make a great franchise owner. There's room for some creativity and innovation, but they need to implement the systems that the franchise has developed over the years. And on the flip side with Paul, um, your people approaching you about being a franchisee, you have to select them or, or not select them. What, what do you look for? Well, I think he touched on a great point. Um, I think it's got to be a, a, a folk with a lot of ideas and they come to the table with trying to create their idea and then have the brand mold to their idea, it sometimes doesn't work really well. And uh, so, you know, there's a process that you communicate with and a series of questions and answers and things in their packet that you can get an idea of, of how they uh, might be successful within your brand. And over time, are you getting better <coughs> at selecting franchises? Absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, I was a kid that, you know, Phyllis Jordan took a shot at, and I, I really didn't, uh, I was a risk because I was young and, and, and not a lot of experience. And so I also hold out for that opportunity too. But we have large multi-unit franchisors that are very understanding of what they're buying and getting into and manage it, and those are um, very successful situations and multi-unit franchises um, and, franchi and franchise buyers um, that are sophisticated business operations are, are definitely very successful with brands. And if, Peter, if I can just add, uh, and I'm sure Paul sees this a lot as well, the franchisor is evaluating the prospective owner just as much as that person is evaluating the franchise. Uh, it really does have to be a great fit. And in most cases, the franchise loses money in the beginning. How long? That's a great question. Because they're really, uh, they're paying a, a percentage, the royalty, on a, on, on a smaller amount in the beginning. And that's the period when the franchise owner needs the most support, the most hand-holding. It's three, five, six years down the road when they're really doing well that that 5% or 7% adds up to a lot more for the franchisor and, and the individual owner probably doesn't need as much support at that point. So they're looking for a long-term relationship and uh, so it really is a two-way street. And, and Paul, is it, uh, is it true like after a certain number of years you feel you could take a breath that they're going to make it? Yeah, I mean, you... You see uh, the certain amount of years where you know that, you know, obviously if they're, if they're financing it through a loan, you know, you know in four or five years that loan comes off of the business or if they're capitalizing it themselves um, and know if they have enough funds, you know, you can feel comfortable, especially if they're off to certain amounts of gross sales that are successful. Um, I don't know if you ever really get comfortable because of, <laughs> of uh, market forces and competition. And uh, I think everybody in, in any industry, whether you're selling computer or music or 
or food, um, you have to be sharp and you have to stay on top of your game. I don't think you ever get comfortable. And uh, is, there, is there a secret to selling the New Orleans vibe of PJs outside of the area? I, th I think people yearn for it. Uh, I'm, uh, you know, I think that we're starting to see a real uptick on people really connecting to, uh, obviously, New Orleans and appreciating how we do things. And, um, and yes, yeah, so we, we obviously carry it very proudly in our logo, uh, PJ's Coffee of New Orleans. And so when we made that switch, I think we did it back in 2007. Um, it, it really made a lot of uh, impact because now the consumer was associating it with Uptown New Orleans or Downtown New Orleans and, and, and that are experience in New Orleans. And I've been with the system since 95 and I remember as a franchisee, even before we bought the brand, when we made that switch, um, it really made a big difference. And it, it actually localized us even more here. And I think the consumer, even the locals, I mean, everybody that's been around Uptown maybe knew, but you would be surprised how many people really connected PJs to New Orleans until we added that. And uh, it, it, was a, it was a good move uh, by Phyllis. Smart marketing. They, uh, yeah. Paul Ballard, Ted Fireman, franchise business are part of the landscape of every American city here in New Orleans. We're very conscious of not looking like every American city. Walking that line is an ongoing balancing act for you, uh, Ted and, and Paul. And mm. on the other side of the equation, you're trying to export that New Orleans feel around the state and across the country. It, it's been great meeting both of you. Thanks so much for joining me and out to lunch. Thank you. Thanks very much. I learned, a, learned a lot today. <laughs> My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Paul Ballard from Ballard Brands and Ted Fireman from FranNet. You can learn more about Paul and Ted's excellent adventures in franchising <laughs> by following the links on our websites, www.no.org and itsneworleans.com. Our show is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday through Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday, with live music and dinner seven nights a week. The producer of our show is Grant Morris, our technical producer, and our researcher on today's show is Chris Keogh. Mitch Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can get the show as a podcast, and you can listen to past shows, and you can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites. It's neworleans.com and wwno.org. Support for Out to Lunch comes from PreSonus Audio Electronics. Information about Baton Rouge-based PreSonus is online at PreSonus.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting and WWNO for itsneworleans.com and 89.9 FM WWNO. I'm Peter Raschuti. I look forward to meeting you again next week for Out to Lunch around the table here at Commander's Palace. Till then, be well, be safe, be happy. Bye-bye. Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, online at joneswalker.com. Additional support provided by Fidelity Homestead Savings Bank, Resource Management, LLC, Luba Workers Comp, and 30 North Investments.